He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. E aku manu taki, e aku manu taiko, no piki mai, no kake mai, ki te hōtaka nei a tiahika. Tonight, the series Getting Better, a year in the life of a Māori medical student with trainee Dr Emma Espiner. The series provides an insight into the front line of the country's healthcare system. In this episode, Emma is in Whangarei and joins Māori surgeon Maxine Ronald for a kōrero, and she also heads to Ōtautahi Christchurch at Lyme, a medical conference where surgeons from Indigenous communities discuss the challenges in their work. Before the discovery of ether in the mid-19th century, a surgeon's success was based on his, and it was always his, speed. How quickly could you remove someone's limb and cauterise the bleeding? Patients tried to avoid operations at any cost, as an admission to hospital was seen as a virtual death sentence. If not from the procedure, then almost certainly from infection. Closer to butchery than the practice of medicine, surgery selected for personality types who were comfortable performing brutal operations on a conscious patient. There's an old joke. What's the difference between God and a surgeon? God doesn't think he's a surgeon. That long-standing association of surgery with type A personalities, highly driven, confident, did someone say arrogant, persists because the profession draws in people who are comfortable operating in life-or-death situations, the sorts of situations that also underline their own status and the power of surgery. So why do so few Indigenous doctors end up becoming surgeons? And why does it matter? From Bird of Paradise Productions for RNZ. Call Emma Espiner Aho, and this is episode five of Getting Better. What does a surgeon look like? We're about to meet some doctors who are breaking down that white, male, type A cliche of a surgeon. But although things are changing, they're changing very slowly. If the number of Māori doctors is proportionally small, the number of Māori surgeons is tiny. Out of an overall pool of hundreds, there are 13 consultant surgeons who identify as Māori. Getting into surgical training is super competitive to begin with, but Māori looking to get into surgery are also reckoning with an historical expectation about the best way of using a medical degree in the first place. There's um, scepticism from the Māori community about the value of being a a Māori surgeon, and I understand that because I didn't quite understand it why I should do surgery. This is Maxine Ronald. She's Ngāti Wai, and she's a general surgeon working in Whangarei Hospital. You know, historically... Māori health has been positioned in primary health care and public health, and, and with, with good reason. In those specialties, it wasn't well understood where you could make an impact. Apologies for the background noise, by the way. We're at a restaurant. Maxine's not really one for interviews, so selling it as a chat over dinner was the only way we could convince her. And if you're a Māori doctor, you know, you're expected to contribute to improving Māori health. And, you know, and I wanted to do that. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, I, quite, I just love surgery. And I couldn't not, love, couldn't not love it and I couldn't do anything else. If you listen to episode two, you'll have heard me say I did my placement in Northland because I wanted to work with Dr Carl Eagleton. Well, I also went there because of Maxine. I still remember and it still blows me away, just that feeling. Just that immense privilege of seeing 
of, of being in theatre, of operating on a on a real person with real family, and you know, being able to remove disease or not or pathology, and just that actually, you know, that seemed like real medicine to me. Mm, yeah. Did you, what, do you remember what the operation was? It was a liver resection. <laughs> Okay, just FYI, a liver resection is just cutting out a bit of liver. Obviously, it's a bit more complicated than that in practice, but you get the idea. When I did my fourth year general surgery rotation at Middlemore Hospital, on my second day on the team, the boss, who was Pākehā, asked me if I wanted to know about Māori working in surgery. Of course, the answer was yes. He gave me Maxine's phone number and I called her that same night. If that sounds a bit intense, a bit stalkery, well... You can judge me, but the opportunity to connect with a Māori woman in a leadership role in medicine is not something you ever pass up when you're me. It's also not the kind of opportunity Maxine ever remembers having when she was at the stage I'm at. When I was a registrar and a student and a more junior doctor, those kind of questions never came up. In fact, being Māori for me was minimised. My Māoriness was minimised. It was recognised, but minimised. And I would see other people like our Pacifica sisters being really elevated and I celebrate that and they're all my very good friends. But I noticed that my position was really downplayed. And this wasn't even all that long ago. It's only been around seven years since Max sat her last surgical fellowship exams. I think it's really interesting that even Maxine herself said she didn't see the value of getting into hospital medicine. That's the thinking we come in with, and then people wonder why there are so few Māori surgeons or endocrinologists or obstetricians. It's so much harder to be it when you can't see it. Max did have one important mentor, Jonathan Coyer. He's now an associate professor and general surgeon at North Shore Hospital. You might have heard of him. Māori surgeons often get a lot of media attention because they're so rare. My relationship with Jonathan was not ridiculed, but I was, you know, I was tested about it. Also, I was mindful that he was the only person doing surgery that I, you know, it was really visible, Māori, and, you know, I was mindful not to put too much on him, so I've never worked with Jonathan, and we've had a kind of a long-distance working relationship, um, but he's always been amazing mentor and support for me. I totally take the point Max is making about not wanting to overload her mentor. For those of us coming through, the Jonathans of this world and the Maxes are taonga and have to be cared for accordingly. Apparently, I was vetted behind the scenes by Max's Māori doctor friends before being allowed to go and spend six weeks with her. Not quite sure what the criteria were, but I'm glad I passed. It makes me sad hearing Max's story that you'd have to limit your interaction with the only other Māori person doing what you do for fear of how it might look. People were aware that we had a connection being Māori and it was tested and, oh, you know, your your bro, Jonathan, things like that. And so I backed away just for, partly for my own safety, I suppose. And, and I have to say that probably limited me having more interaction with him than I might have. Some of that sounds like straight-up racism. What's with the your bro? It is different for me and my classmates now, and that's probably just down to numbers, so I'm grateful for that. Still, it sounds pretty lonely in surgical training. For me, I was the only Māori surgeon trainee um, doing general surgery for, so, for a long time. And so whenever I had even someone who looked like Māori, I was pathetic, it was embarrassing. And these poor house Māori house surgeons, I'd chase them around and sit next to them and, do you want to do surgery? And they're like, so do not want to do surgery. 
you pathetic woman, leave me alone. Oh, oh my God, it's embarrassing. You know, because you just needed to make that connection. And you really kind of identified with those non-Māori who carried some of that ahua with them or, or seemed to embrace you for, for being Māori more than perhaps others. It's funny, as well as a bit sad, listening to Max talking about chasing these students around the hospital. I mean, I chased her up to Northland. I know that impulse, that thirst for connection. It's whakawhanaungatanga. It's in us. Whatever side of the doctor-patient relationship we're on at any given time. We had my favourite patient who said she just loved seeing our faces. She just loved, <laughs> just loved seeing us together and being cared for by Māori women. When you get patients like that, as a Māori doctor... It's actually more important to you, I think, than to them. Well, it's just it. It totally was. (laughs) Hospitals are, by necessity, utilitarian spaces, hierarchical spaces, Pākehā spaces. One of the things I came to most respect about Max is how she's able to bring her whole self as a Māori woman to her mahi. I'm probably not the normal, typical mould for a surgeon. You know, the archetypal kind of surgeon is of a particular type. And being nice is is often seen as a weakness. So I've been actually told not to be, that I won't get far being nice, and, you know, not just as a trainee, but as, as a consultant. Then you know, I think that's just so not Māori. Because, I mean, being nice, what does that mean? It just means being caring and looking after the people you're working with and, and caring about your patients. And so I think that's a strength, personally. I mean, it's also a weakness. It can be a weakness. It can make, you know, things very difficult on an emotional level and maybe you might experience things in a different way to other um, medical professionals, but I don't think it's something that should lose. And if people have that, then you should encourage that. I think it's something to be encouraged. Like, it's a caring profession. It's meant to be. And we're Māori, and that's what we do. Totoko this, all of this. It speaks to a shift, and even though when we're patients we know instinctively we want the doctors treating us to care, historically people practising medicine, and especially surgery, used to think that too much empathy was a handicap. It's a struggle, to be honest. Like You're constantly seeing things in two different dimensions and seeing how things are done, but in, you know, and very effectively to a large degree, and that's a very parkour way. And we, we know we've been raised and taught and trained and educated in that way. But stepping outside of that, you can see how it could be done differently and from a Māori perspective how they're incongruent. And it's trying to find how, how you fit in there as a surgeon. So it's trying to find how, as a Māori surgeon, you can be authentic and you know, achieve the things you want to achieve by still being Māori and still offering the skills that you have. I do find it a challenge to figure out how I'm going to do that. This is not to say that Māori doctors are inherently more caring and Pākehā cold, but a system built on centuries of Western knowledge, unsurprisingly, has rewarded generations of non-Māori doctors who can prove their objectivity. But a new generation of surgeons are changing old ideas. A lot of women who go into surgery feel like they have to be the people they despise to be surgeons. And you have to be that type A, angry, aggressive, arrogant person. And, and that really disappoints me because the whole idea about what we're trying to achieve in the workforce is diversity. This is Calvin Kong. He's a bit famous. A rock star for medical nerds. 
He's a colleague of Max's at the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons, where he qualified as the first Aboriginal fellow. One of the biggest uh, misconceptions about that diversity is they think that diversity means that you're a weaker workforce. But in actual fact, diversity makes us much stronger. And so when you come into whichever work platform it is, whether it's surgery, medicine or in a different area altogether, um, it's important to be yourself because being yourself means you're adding to that picture of how we are represented as a society. Calvin Kong is a Warrami man. He grew up in Newcastle where he works as an ear, nose and throat surgeon. He was the keynote speaker at Lyme. That's Leaders in Indigenous Medical Education, a conference in Ōtautahi last year. So our first person who's speaking is Mr Calvin Kong, who was introduced earlier today, and he's going to talk about his journey. For ages, Calvin was one of the firsts, the onlys, just like Jonathan Coyer one of a small handful of Indigenous surgeons, not just in his own country, but globally. As a respected medical educator and mentor, he gets mobbed at events like this one. It helps that he's a bit of a crack-up. One day I was at work, I was sorry, I got caught in, and it was a weekend and I do a lot of paediatric airway, so this baby was born, it wasn't breathing all that well, so they wanted my assistance in there. And I just got out of the surf and my registrar called me and said, can you come in? And I said, yeah, of course, no worries at all. So I went in there, had my board shorts, thongs, shirt on, and met this family and met this baby and said, right, we need to go to the operating room, we're going to have to do X, Y and Z. And after all that conversation, my registrar was standing next to me and the mum turned to my registrar and said, now, it's really nice you brought this person along, but when's Professor Kong getting here? (laughs) This is my baby we're talking about. And I I didn't say too much. I just smirked and smiled and and he he didn't really say too much. I can't let go get changed. Someone got changed in scrubs and came back and said, hi, Professor Kong, how are you doing? He tells a good story, Calvin. I guess it comes from a lifetime of being the surgeon who doesn't look like some people expect him to. It was my first Lyme conference. I was there on a bursary and the University of Otago was hosting and the manaakitanga for the students was outstanding. They really looked after us. Max was there too and that was surreal in a great way. It was amazing to be together up north, two Māori doctors. Well, I'm a trainee, but you know. (laughs) And then we went to Lyme and suddenly there were all of us, doctors and medical students from Indigenous populations all over the world. Canada, Australia, Hawaii, North America. And we were the tangata whenua. It's just a bit overwhelming to be in this space just in general, just to not have to explain yourself and to hear people just echoing what you think and feel and see on a daily basis and not having that being, you know, othered. It's just a huge honour and um, responsibility as well, but also a huge privilege. Lyme made the world feel smaller in the best way. Who here has been told they're been the first to do something? Yeah. You know what's interesting? So a lot of times when I'm introduced in Canada, I'm the first First Nations woman to graduate from the University of British Columbia School of Medicine. See how fast that rolls off my tongue? This is Professor Nadine Caron. She was one of the keynote speakers at Lyme. She is, as she says, one of the first, the first female general surgeon from a First Nations people in Canada. The first. Where's Maxine? Maxine, are you here today? I felt really proud hearing Maxine get called on by this professor from the other side of the world. So Maxine was talking about being the first. And you know what, I think what we should do is, in a group like this, we should celebrate the first. But we should recognise that the first comes at the cost of the faults of the countries in which we're doing it. So we should be the first and we should celebrate that. But you know what? 
the country, the highlight, the media coverage should not be the first person, the first indigenous person does this, the first First Asians, the first Maori, the first Torres Strait Islander, the first Aboriginal. You know what the title should be in the newspaper? It should see the only, the only Maori, the only First Asians. Not the first, it sounds like something to celebrate. It should be the only. If Nadine Caron's voice sounds slightly hoarse in this recording, it's because she had laryngitis. But she gave her lectures anyway. Respect. We captured audio from Professor Caron's talk, but what's impossible to capture is the thrill of hearing an eminent surgeon of this stature. She's an associate professor at the University of British Columbia, an associate faculty member at Johns Hopkins Centre for American Indian Health, has a master's in public health from Harvard, and, and, and. (laughs) So to hear this respected First Nations professor absolutely tearing into health disparities in Indigenous communities where she lives in Canada, that was exhilarating. Her keynote lecture was about why closing the gaps isn't good enough when it comes to health disparities, and she made sure to declare what she calls her conflicts of interest. You need to know a little bit about me to interpret what I'm going to say. And it's hard because me professionally is actually somewhat hard to separate from me personally, where I'm from, who I came from, who my parents are, who my grandparents are, the territory I'm from. And so I think it's really important because I can't separate professional from personal. That's important for you to know. Um, so, some conflicts. I'm an Anishinaabe woman. I'm a First Nations daughter, grandmother, great-granddaughter. I'm a Ojibwe sister, auntie, niece, cousin, native friend, colleague, community member, an Aboriginal physician, teacher, researcher, and advocate. So, right now, a conflict of interest. If that's important to you, I can get off the stage right now. Who here wants me to just get off the stage? It's too much conflict. Yeah, nobody wanted her to get off the stage. She finished to a standing ovation. We talked with Professor Caron afterwards about her not wanting to separate all the different parts of herself, the Indigenous daughter, granddaughter, sister, auntie, friend, all those parts of herself from the part that does medicine. One of my goals when I went into surgery, and this is 100% because of the reputation that the, the, the profession of surgery has, is I wanted everyone that I met down the road when I was actually a full-on functioning surgeon going about my daily activities was that if they met me outside of my office and they asked what I did and they found out that I was a surgeon that their jaws would drop and they would be shocked and they would not see any connection with me to the profession. Having already talked to Max and Calvin about exactly this, it was inspiring to hear the same idea expressed by another Indigenous doctor from the other side of the world. It's a really simple but revolutionary idea. What if the way of becoming the best surgeon you can be is by bringing all parts of yourself to the job? And then my second goal was to, when I actually was out functioning and working at the university and an educator and, and really influencing those who chose the career path, for them to see that you could be the type of surgeon that you wanted to be. You could bring to it the, what you wanted to bring to it. You could create the type of practice you wanted to create. You could spend an hour with your patient to go over a biopsy report. You could go in early and spend 45 minutes with them before the operation. You could share with them their options and offer for them to come back another day with another family member to talk about it more. You could be the type of human being you wanted to be and, um, and to share that so that the students that you worked with could see that 
Based on what I've seen in hospital placements, it's completely reasonable for surgeons to want to spend more time talking to their patients. For most people, surgery's not a fun prospect. Being able to take the time to explain procedures and next steps makes a huge difference. Most doctors I've met want this. It's the bureaucracy that holds them back, the under-resourcing of the health system that means you often have to rush between patients. Metaphorically, it's like putting band-aids on wounds that really need suturing. But if anyone is going to affect change, winding up the surgeons is a good bet. They're used to getting their way, and I'd imagine they'd have a good shot at transforming the system if they put their collective minds and uh, <coughs> persuasiveness to the task. I guess that's the way you, you change the profession. This is why Lyme felt like Fano. There was so much solidarity among Indigenous doctors and students from all over the world. I felt a shared drive among our leaders to move on from being the firsts, the onlys, and to support us, my generation coming through, to become the few, the more, the many. I think even in medicine, there's so many things that are put up there because people feel like, you know what, um, I did it, so if I make it sound like it was a big deal, if I make it sound how challenging it was, when I was in surgery residency, we did this, when I was in medical school, we did this, you know, you, you, you just put up these almost these invisible walls that are hard to actually see that they're there, but you just feel that pressure. Nadine Caron is an Indigenous woman from the other side of the world. But in so many ways, her kōrero was an echo of Max's that night in Whangarei, especially what she said about pressure. I remember when I first started working up here and I said to Jonathan, what shall I do? To make to, things you know, better. To make things better. And he said, you know, you don't need to do anything, just be a surgeon, and that's, that's enough. And I remember thinking, that's not enough. What are, you, what are you thinking? Like, that's crazy. And I was like, oh, that's nice. He's just being nice and... But, you know, that wasn't enough to me. But then I had a house surgeon, a Māori house surgeon, came to me and said, oh, you know, Max, I feel like I should do more. And it made me so sad. I was so sad because she's amazing. And I <laughs> said to her exactly what he said to me. And I, it was only afterwards that I reflected. But, you know, I said it's just enough that you're here and that you're awesome and that we see you. We see your face and we see that you're Māori. She's very kōpapa Māori. And I just felt sad that she had to do more more than everyone else, and that she felt that responsibility. We all feel that responsibility. The equity work everyone who spoke at Lyme is doing, the research, advocacy, mentoring, having all the hard conversations in predominantly white institutions, all that daily often feeling like pushing shit uphill work, all that being the firsts, it comes on top of everything else, you know, the actual medicine. This is a whole other commitment for Indigenous doctors. As Max sees it, it's good to have something concrete to focus on. Noelle, our producer, asked her more about that junior doctor she mentioned and what it's like helping the next generation to navigate these responsibilities. And I would love for, for Māori junior doctors to not feel like they have to be doing something. Because it's pretty stressful anyway, right? You know, being Yeah, a... it's stressful and then there's that, that additional social, cultural responsibility to be doing more as a Māori anything. So I was very sad that she felt that, but then also really glad that she felt that. And it's a real kind of conflict. Um, and, you know, so then I want to help her to do more, but then I don't want her to do too much. And, oh. Do you think she listened to you? You know, the way you said you thought Jonathan was just being no, nice. No, she didn't listen to me. She asked me for a project and I gave her one. <laughs> you know, so that's what we do to each other. She's not kidding about the I gave her a project thing. A lot of my research work is given to me by Māori doctors. 
The kōrero line with Nadine Caron and Calvin Kong helped me realise that the we Max is talking about applies to Indigenous doctors, not just in Aotearoa, but all over the world. One of the scary things about these kind of meetings is that you go home with more work than what you came here with, but I think what it does is it gives us strength in uh, being able to continue that journey, but also take the ideas of the wonderful work that people are doing and hearing their presentations, and actually you don't have to reinvent the world to, to re-infuse some of the work you're doing and how you incorporate some of these great ideas. And so I think it's our job when we're working with particularly youth is to take down those walls and take down those barriers and make them realize that if I did it, quite honestly, I'll tell you a little secret. If I did it, anybody can do it. (laughs) If you can see it, you can be it. The debt I feel towards this generation of Indigenous doctors, the firsts, the onlys, is massive. It was so good to see them all filling up their carpet lime, getting their needs met for once. In surgery, in in a hospital, you don't have... It's quite lonely. You don't have a lot of Māori friends, and if you do, they're very scattered, and you you develop very good Pākehā friends or non-Māori friends, yeah. So it is really nice when you've got, like, a little posse. You know, it's just that that lovely feeling of whakawhanaungatanga, which I don't think I imagined having that when I first started training. Yeah, yeah. A year in the life of a Māori medical student with trainee Dr Emma Espiner. Produced by Bird of Paradise Productions. Now you can find Getting Better on the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. Next week, I'm back with Tiahika and I'll be joined with Māori who are right in the thick of language, te reo Māori revitalisation. From teachers to learners, what do they expect or what do they want from the next government? Kwera te tino kaupapa, hei te rā wiki. Nō rei re te whanau kua taiki te mutunga o tēnei kaupapa. Uh, you can, of course, get in touch with the show. Email tiahika at rnz.co.nz or follow RNZ Tiao Māori on social media. Ko te manako ia kia haumaru tā koutou noho, tēnā tātou katoa. Mm-hmm.